Hey, everybody, and welcome back to Off the Couch on the Blister Podcast Network. I'm Jonathan Ellsworth, and you can check out everything we're doing and reviewing over at blisterreview.com. And once again, we are broadcasting this episode from our home here in the Gunnison Valley of Colorado, where if our conversation today should inspire you to get out on some epic runs or hikes or mountain bike rides, well, we've got over 750 miles of trails here for you to explore and to go beyond. And on that note, our guest today is Michaela Gralia, who is one of the top ultra runners in the world. Michaela is, among other things, the most recent winner of the Moab 240. He has won the coldest foot race in the world, the Yukon Arctic Ultra. He has also won the hottest foot race in the world, the Badwater 135. And he has set Guinness World Records for his runs across the Atacama and Gobi Deserts. But Michaela isn't just about winning long-distance races and setting records. He is passionate about human potential, seeing what is possible, and encouraging each and every one of us to do the same. And this is actually why he runs. To go beyond. And this is also why he has written a book called Ultra, an English translation of which comes out exactly one week from today on June 22nd. Now, as I told Michaela, his book really knocked me back for a whole host of reasons, some of which we'll discuss in our conversation. And I really, truly would love every single person in our Blister audience to read Ultra because of the potential that I think it has to literally change your life. And I don't say that lightly. Michaela and I also talked for quite a long while, and so today you are going to be hearing part one of our conversation, and then next week on June 22nd, the day that his book Ultra comes out, we are going to air part two. Our conversation runs the gamut of topics, from the fashion industry to warrior monks to diet to getting some of the details of his win and his motivation going into the Moab 240 to how he himself practices and pursues the transcendence of limitations. So there is a whole lot going on. I absolutely love this conversation with Michaela. And so now let's get to it. Well, Michaela, how are you today and where are you today? I'm doing fantastic. Uh, I'm up in Big Bear Lake right now at my new home. And uh, so, yeah, it's a great pleasure to be here with you today. Well, I'm sure this is going to be an interesting conversation. This might be a terrible interview because, and I'm going to kind of blame you for that because... um, (laughs) It's all my fault. (laughs) It might be all your fault because we're here to talk about a book that you're going to be releasing in just a a few days. I'm going to pay you a bit of a compliment here. I find myself saying when I read something that I really like, often what I'll find myself thinking or saying about that is this is a big book. Now, ironically, it's actually not that big of a book. And (laughs) some might even find that it's a very, very quick read. Right, it is. It's a it's a fast read. It's a, that's for sure. It's a yeah. fast read, but a big book. And I think, hopefully, throughout this conversation, it will become clear to people. I think what I mean by that. But I can honestly start by saying, um, this book really knocked me back in a really good way, and I found it really exciting. And I think our conversation is going to largely maybe try to communicate to people or make clear why why that was so and why why I hope that a whole lot of runners and a whole lot of non-runners read this yes. thing. Well, I'm just very excited to, you know, to have the opportunity to chat it out with you and open up the the conversation to to you know to all these um you know concepts in a way and ideas that I shared in the book. So yeah, it's a great opportunity. And I I think it is the case perhaps with a lot of books that are sort of quote unquote running books. It's like, okay, well, we really want to talk about the world of running. And then of course it's like, 
But hey, non-runners, you might find this interesting as well. You actually have a line in the book where you just straight up say, like, this is not a book about running. That's right. (laughs) That's right. Yep. Do you want to, maybe I should shut up for a second and let you talk. What do you mean? I mean, the book is called Ultra. You're a runner. Some people might be like, what are you talking about? Right. Well, you know, um, this book came out out of, uh, you know, the desire to share, let's say, my philosophy in life. And running, of course, ultra running in particular, is to me just a means to express myself and live in a way, an intentional life. So the the things that are shared in the story, of course, are stories that involve running, because that has been my my you know my journey and my career, my path for these past ten years. But it's very much about the lessons and the stories that you know they embody a deeper message. It's not about, you know, I'm not telling you how fast I'm running this race. I'm not telling you how, you know, this and this and that, the the physical terms. I think it's more about the metaphysical. And that's the part that truly fascinated me in the very beginning about ultra running. It wasn't just a physical discipline. He were talking about something greater. To me, ultra running is very much like a spiritual practice. So it's about transcending our physical limitation breaking down the mental barriers to truly liberate ourselves and dig, you know, dig in the, dig in the depth of our own selves to discover our heart, our spirit, our soul, what we were talking about earlier. And this is, to me, a worthwhile message, especially in the times we're facing right now as a humanity, as a society. Uh, you know, we are in, we are caught in this whirlpool of, you know, of, having to, let's say, abide to the social patterns, you know, the social construct. And we all follow in the same path. We all have this, you know, we are uh, in a way indoctrinated to follow a certain life path. You know, you you get a good, you know, you go to college, you get a good degree, you get a good career. The goal, though, is always external. It's always about chasing that material success. Uh the thing is, once I, you know, my, the, the book came out of the desire of sharing the fact that that's not what matters. Because in my journey, you know, when I reached my, the top of my career in, in modeling the fashion world, I was living the dream. And despite being at the top, I had fallen in a massive life crisis, you know, existential crisis. And so, you know, you can have all the material success you want, but if you don't do, if you don't live an intentional life that gives you purpose, that gives you fulfillment, then you have nothing. So what, what it is all about? Where do we take it from here? This is where, this is what we talk about in book. Let's get some preconceived notions <laughs> I'd have, yes. you know, on the table. <laughs> I want the entire Blister audience to read this thing because I think for me, probably, my favorite books are still those books that kind of serve as a catalyst to self-examination. Not all books need to function this way, by the way, but I just, for me personally, those are the ones, in fact, I used to, you know, back in my past philosophy days would talk about, like, if we were going to talk about what's a better or worse book of philosophy, Mm -hmm. by like a Socratic understanding of philosophy, which, you know, Socrates was about the business of Mm self-examination, I would make the case that like, well, any book that better served as a catalyst to getting you to re-examine what you're about you're switching the focus in, in yeah, yeah. That, that's kind of the better work of philosophy. And, and I think yes. that's what, I do think that's the potential of this book. So whether a person doesn't care about the fashion industry, right? maybe they do, maybe they don't. Whether <laughs> yeah. a person doesn't really care about people who like to do things like run 200 plus mile races. <laughs> it, it, right. <laughs> I'm saying there is stuff here for anybody kind of at any point of life where this book, it forces you to just think through, like, what am I about and why? And have some of my practices maybe slipped a bit in terms of the things I say that I'm about? 
And that's the stuff that I really love. And again, so it's one of the reasons why I say this is a big book, but a fast read. Well, what you're saying is is a great value. Um, I think that you've really, you know, hit a target right there. You know, the lessons and and stories and and well, life lessons, let's call them that way, that I share in the book, as I say, you know, they spark out of the running because that's that's my that's been my journey. But these are life lessons that can be applied to anything in life, from business to, you know, to relationships, to any endeavor, really. So it's very much about, to me, was about sharing the mindset and understanding of what brought me to this point and why we're here talking today. People who know you, or let's say people who know you a little bit, enough to be dangerous, yeah. right? <laughs> it's <Yes>. like <laughs> what we always hear. Oh, yeah, right. That, that top model fashion model guy who now likes running long distances, right? <laughs> yes. And, you know, <laughs> that's um, pretty much what I get. <laughs> yeah, that's what you get. So I guess I'm curious to hear more. Yes. In the book, you talk a bit about your, you know, growing up in Italy and, but it, yes. it moves pretty quickly with like getting into the family business and mm-hmm. how that got you to Miami, but, but it moves pretty fast through that. Given some of the things you've just said here at the start, I'm curious one about kind of your education. Let's say your education from age one to 24, like before you mm-hmm. get to Miami. Right. And when you really started thinking about some of the stuff that you've already just said in this conversation, was some of that pre Miami or was a lot of that post Miami? You know, I got to tell you, I am 37 years old right now. And by the time I came to Miami, well, actually, by the time I discovered running, I already had a few midlife crises already. <laughs> so I, I think that um, it's always been an internal drive that I've had since I was a kid. I always I always had a hard time fitting in um, in the pattern of society just because I always felt there was something bigger. I always felt like there was a bigger calling for all of us. And, and to me, just settling for what's convenient, what's, what gives us security, you always felt almost like a waste of time. And I'm not saying that money is not important because that would be naive, but it's the, you know, it's always about, it's always been about discovering what would give me a sense in life. So, you know, I started out, once I finished high school, I really didn't have any specific career path or passion that I was driven to do. So I just, I just went to law school. I was pretty good in school. Uh, You know, I did well for about a year. And after that first year, that was my first big crisis right there. I was like, I couldn't picture myself 10, 20 years from now living that life doing with that thing. And I'm not saying it's bad or wrong. You know, it's bad, it's good or bad. It's, it just wasn't for me. So I dropped out of university, college, whatever you want to call it. And I was, you know, fortunate enough to have the business, the the family business to back me up. So I dove into it head first. And for a few years, I got to tell you the truth, that was an amazing experience because I started working at about 20 years old. I started learning several languages. Um, you know, I started studying different languages. I started traveling from California to Japan. I was, you know, every month I was going different places all over Europe. I travel like, like crazy. And it was exciting because for a moment I was, I could see the fruits of my labor. You know what I mean? Like I could see the harder I worked, the more recognition, the more return I would get. So I would work like endless hours every day. I would wake up like at two, three in the morning to work, to call the offices in Japan, staying all day in the warehouse and the offices working and then stay all the way to like 10, 11 at night to, to call the United States because of time change, right? So, and he didn't care, you know, that was my life and I was fully committed to it. But then came this understanding that despite how great, you know, the financial and personal you know, return, like uh, fulfillment that might have come from it. Um, I just, it just didn't see a mine. You know, I grew up there. Uh, it was my father's business. It was my father's legacy. So I was just working in it. 
it never felt it never felt truly mine and and it's not that i'm talking down to it i actually come from a place of gratitude and great appreciation for what he did you know my my father my family in particular comes from a very humble beginnings my father graduated middle school and he was sent to work at 13 years old he doesn't even he didn't even have a high school diploma he's a person that speaks fluently four or five languages he traveled the world he created an incredible business and he offered an amazing life to his kids but that wasn't me I was just raised into it. So I always felt that calling to do something greater than that, greater than myself. Because, you know, if he started for nothing, he was able to do so much. I'm already starting from here. Where can I go? So there came the idea. I'm 24 years old. I'm like, okay, it's 2007. I'm like, you know what? Let's, Miami at the time was the main port of entry for us in the country. So I was like, and I've been there basically almost three, four, five months. I was down there for a week or two or three, you know, scouting for new clients, expanding the business, all of that. So I'm like, let me go down there for like six months. So I got an extended visa. I'm like, I'm going to go there, see it where things lead me, expand the business, hopefully open up a new branch. Maybe this can be my new, this can be my legacy. Still spinning off of that, but it could be my own path. You know, I created something on my own. So first week I'm in South Beach, I'm still sleeping on a French couch, uh, on a friend's couch, sorry. I, uh, I'm walking around, you know, the, 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 the beach, the beach, Ocean Drive right there by the shores. I'm walking around trying to look for apartments. That one, one fateful day got caught by a thunderstorm, diving the first place across the street. And there I happened to meet Irene Marie which happened to be the directress of one of the most famous modeling agency in the world at that time. We looked at each other back and forth a couple of times. She stood up, came to me, introduced herself, and right on the spot, she offered me a contract. And it's like almost like one of those sliding doors type of situation. You know, I found myself in the right spot at the right time, and this whole opportunity came out of nowhere. This big wave came, and my life that day changed completely. So, you know, um, I come from this little town of 5,000 souls in the Italian inland. And right there, I find myself, you know, in this whole new industry, this, you know, glamorous and, you know, dreamlike industry that most people, you know, dream about. Because that's what you see in the, you know, movies and commercial stuff like that is the image of, you know, fancy success and all of that and I started living the lifestyle. So this is where this is where I landed and this is where that first chapter of my life pretty much ended and a whole new one began. Back in Italy, you're not sitting around reading books of Bruce Lee. Books by <laughs> right. Bruce Lee. You're not <laughs> right. you're not sitting around reading a bunch of stuff trying to figure out the meaning of life. You're you were in school you left for the family business. You started putting a ton of hours on that. But just to get clear, you're not you're not quite yet. And we should say, I don't know if you mentioned, when you go to Miami, I believe you're like 24. 24 years yeah. old, yeah. So you, you weren't some weird 15-year-old kid sitting around exploring all of these ancient texts. Right, right. Definitely not. Definitely yeah. not. Okay. <laughs> I was living a different life back then. Yeah, trust me. <laughs> got it. So I think your book is the most I've ever read about the fashion industry. I think that's okay. true. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, turns out it's a, it's a bit like we might expect or you kind of, but, it, but yeah. it was interesting to like have somebody like actually lay out because I do Definitely feel like, experience. yeah. And I do feel like you are like our avatar for this. It's like, Hey, Imagine if you ran into a shop to get out of the rain and then this weird thing happened to right. you. <laughs> right. <laughs> and uh, so, totally. yeah, if anybody wants to know what that experience is like, yeah, I guess pick up Ultra because the first several chapters is like you get... You get in the depths of it. Yeah, for sure. But I got to tell you, let me jump into it. You know, um, the thing with, with modeling came pretty much, out of, you know, is sprout out of nowhere. You know, it was just an opportunity that I caught. It was a wave that I caught. And right there, you know, right, the basically the very next day, a couple of days after I signed that contract, I started working like 
consistently. It wasn't just an aspiring model. I was working one of the biggest agency with some of the best bookers in one of the biggest markets at the time. And, you know, I, I was literally thrown into the mix and I started playing it. You know, I started dancing the dance and lived that whole lifestyle. You know, it, it became right out of the gate. It became my opportunity to establish my legacy. That's how I, I saw it at the beginning. Because again, you know, it's despite the fact that it wasn't necessarily my dream or something I envisioned to pursue, but when I found myself into it, it did give me that, that opportunity. So, you know, and it is a life that we kind of all dream about. You know, I was living in South, I was 24, 25 years old, living in South Beach, living it up, you know, making, making very good money because you could make like, Three, four, five, ten thousand dollars or more per day of shoot. You know, I was making good money before, but here it was like a completely different game. And so, you know, you thrown us, you, you find yourself in that industry, working it hard, and kind of enjoying the 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 path of it. You know, the rise of it. Because the more work you get, the more recognition you get, the more you you grow and rise. You know, you you almost like your value rises as well. And the more I started growing, the more I also got involved in the lifestyle of it. So you kind of get swept off your feet and you introduce this whole, you know, clubbing and, you know, fancy restaurants, the whole socialite, uh, you know, you, you want it because of the image that you are, because you have your image, people want you here, people want you there, everything is ended out. And man, 25 years old, all of this, you feel like the king of the world. You know, you feel like a rock star. You're living that life and it's freaking amazing. And it was freaking amazing until it wasn't anymore. You know, <laughs> there's that always the breaking point because you always have to face reality. Yeah. In the end. And that's where the other breaking point and the other change happened. So a couple questions about this part of your life. There is a remarkable kind of irony or oxymoron as a top model. On the one hand, you describe well how you basically, it's like the more success you get, you kind of have to be increasingly part of this world of nonstop partying. But there's two things going on. It's both a world of like discipline and partying. And excess. Yeah. Excess how, on both levels. How, <laughs> how you do that. I'd, I'd be like... In a way, you could kind of say like, okay, well, to be an ultra runner, you can sort of afford to just live a bit of a monastic existence, be right. an ascetic, but to try to do that because you got to stay fit while also right. being dragged out to clubs and over the top parties, like all right. the time. To, for networking, right. Talk a bit about that. Like, Well, to me at the time, it was not... Uh you know, I, I didn't entertain any internal thoughts at that point. It was just living up the physical. So you're going out, you know, you're living that whole sex, drugs, and rock and roll type of lifestyle. And and taking care of the body was just a facade. You know, it was just like, this is what I'm working with. So I could, I was still very focused. You know, I was still enjoying my, my days out of the beach, training out of the pull-up bars on Ethan Ocean. Um, it was all part of that. But it was just taking care of the physical part. It wasn't, I didn't entertain again any introspective thoughts. So to me, it was just like, I had to stay in shape because this is my job. This is what pays me. And that's what gives me the opportunity to, to go out, have fun. In the meantime, I'm also networking. So it was all like, you know, when you're in the grind, you really don't stop to think about what's going on until something happens. When you, when you start breaking, you know, breaking it down, and you start you start asking yourself certain questions. That's when the problem arises because those questions, those existential questions, need to be answered at some point. And for a couple of years, I completely shut them down. You know, it was just about enjoying the moment and being there and doing what I needed to do. So there wasn't too much thought about it. It was just a physical preparation just because I had to be cut. I had to be shredded because so I could make more money. And that was as simple as that. There was no 
uh, deeper understanding of of like personal growth and or doing taking care of my body for a higher purpose. It was just all aesthetic. It was just all external. Yeah. yeah. I guess I was asking the like kind of more base question, which is like, okay, I don't think I would have had like the way you describe these parties. I probably would have wanted to eat like 38 egg rolls and probably like <laughs> a couple pieces of like the great looking cake. That was probably right, right, right. so, and you you do explain this. You're like, yeah, I was cut up, but I wasn't necessarily like it wasn't healthy. It wasn't healthy. It wasn't healthy. Yeah, no, definitely not. That's that's what I'm trying to say. You know, the, the, what I'm saying is about the internal is about the drive of staying of being healthy, having to take care of your nutrition of of how you feel. So it's not just a facade. It's not just you know a look that you give, and it's not just an image, but you actually living the lifestyle. I was, you know, I was just shaping my body so they could give me more money so that I could be more successful so that I could have more things so that I could be, you know, so I could go party more and all of these things. But, you know, when you're sucked up in that type of lifestyle, it just becomes almost like a drag because it's, it's really almost like, you know, it takes away the, the, the pleasure of even celebrating something. You know, if you're partying all the time, you just disconnect from the reason why you're doing it. You're just going out there and living through the motion after a while. And you realize that everything you're doing just, you know, I don't know. It kind of disconnected me completely from the true meaning of, of life. It disconnected me from the outside world. I was living in this bubble and I was just sucked up into it. Didn't question at the beginning because, again, it felt great. But after a while, those questions arose and I needed to answer them. Okay, but staying on a kind of brass tack question, and I think this whole conversation is probably going to like zoom in to like very specific in particular and then zoom out to like the biggest questions in the world. I think that's what we're right. we're in for here. You talk about weight a, a bit yeah. in the book and you talk about, you know, when you were in Miami, you were a guy who worked out and yeah. you talk a bit about when you were being contacted kind of initially for some of the modeling, a lot of this stuff was like, okay, you're going to be like surfboard carrying guy or guy in, right. in the swim trunks because you kind of were just naturally carrying around a little bit more weight, a kind of a bulkier frame. You mentioned that somebody mentioned like you should maybe consider going into bodybuilding. That's right. Yep. So here's one thing that it seems like has perhaps been a consistent from the time, I mean, from your early 20s till now, weight has been a factor for you now as a distance runner. Oh, absolutely. So absolutely. I'd be curious to hear you talk a bit about when you were just a guy pre-modeling, a fit guy working out. And I think you maybe mentioned in the book, you were you were at about 185 pounds. Is that about right? Well, actually, before I started modeling, I was about 195 pounds. Got it. I was pretty beefy. How tall are you? Six six one, so I'm I'm tall, but I'm not a giant. Yeah. And one ninety five of muscle is is pretty large frame. When you start modeling, I started dropping down one eighty five, one seventy five, and you know try to kind of chip down, you know chipping out the the extra and kind of to slim down because, as you say, you know Miami was great at the beginning because at least I could kind of transition. Because, you know, I was the bare chested guy, you know, open shirts, cut abs, and that were working perfectly. But the more I started working in high fashion, the slimmer you had to get. The, the sizes, they're very, like, usually you needed to wear like a 28, 30 waist. And you needed to wear like a very tight blazer and stuff like that. So big shoulders, big chest didn't fit in. So again, I needed to, you know, I always found fascination in how we could morph how we could adapt our figures our our frames you know we often just stick to the status quo of our of our physiology but we don't understand that we are that we're literally able you know bodybuilding initially i found it very fascinating because it truly is like a sculpture and you can you're the sculptor you are the one that can chip out the extra parts and can shape yourself the way you want it. So I think that I was, you know, I kind of translated that approach when I transitioned from that world, 
you know, of gyms before to then modeling. And then I brought it with me into running as well. You know, I, I brought a lot of those lessons with me. Yep. So when you were, and I think you kind of talk about this, like when you moved into sort of that world of high fashion modeling, you call it. Now we're talking about the tight suits. Right. You were getting down to about- About 175, 170. So I was dropping down quite a bit. And right now I race at about 150. So this is almost like, a, you know, 50 pounds from where I started. Yeah. And that's quite a bit. That's quite a bit. That's yeah, cool. especially for a lean person. That's right. You know what I mean? And never been overweight that you say, okay, I dropped 50 pounds. No big deal. But when you're already lean and you're talking about just muscular, muscle structure, then that's very difficult. That's a very difficult transition. Yeah. Okay. So I want an honest answer. Talk a bit about how much you think about weight and a weight range these days. You know, is it like you're just waking up and you go do your stuff and you just always end up in about this spot? Or do you have to stay pretty disciplined to be running at the weight you want to be running at? Oh, absolutely. It's total discipline. It's, I, I follow a very regimented nutrition. Um, I try to stick with it. You know, it, it, throughout the years, it kind of became a lifestyle. You know, it became like a regimen, a routine. So I don't see it as a diet. I see it more like a nutrition. So I really pay attention to what I eat. You know, every now and then I slip, you know, a beer or two when I feel like maybe outside racing season and stuff like that. But I, I just tune in in a very sweet spot, let's say. So, uh, of course, you know, throughout the season, my weight fluctuates from off season and, you know, full on racing season. Cause, you know, when I run 120 to 150 miles a week, of course, you know, the weight after a few weeks or months tend to drop naturally. And when, you know, you stop running, 140 miles a week, you, you run only 40 miles a week. Then of course, you know, it, ra- it rises a little bit. So I don't stress too much about it because again, throughout the process, it kind of happens, but you have to stick with it. And it's not a matter of a week or two. Here we're talking about seasons. So, you know, I start training, let's say, I, you know, after Moab in October, I took a couple of months of off season to kind of recharge, regroup and reset. Started training again at the end of December. And now that we're in June, I'm starting to hit the right spot. So here we're talking about six plus months of hard work to get where I need to be. And the season has yet is, is yet to begin my racing season. So it's, uh, it's definitely a labor of uh, hard work, dedication, and lots of patience. Seems like this might be one of your secret weapons isn't probably the right word, but among other top runners you're good at this. You're really comfortable at this. It seems is like knowing how to, how to taper, when to taper, how to get, like you said, how to get your body sort of looking and weighing and feeling the way you want it to. Does that seem right to you? I mean, as you talk to other runners or see, maybe I'm, maybe I'm not giving other runners. And again, I'm talking in a huge generalization here. Yeah, 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 yeah. Of course. Well, I think that if you want to do well at something, you have to live it. Mm-hmm. And this is how I see it. So to me, it's not, I don't see this as a, as a restriction. I don't see the way I live as a, as an effort, rather as a lifestyle. So whether I'm racing or not, I will probably still stick to, to the way I live just because it makes me feel good. You know, I don't try to hit a certain weight range because I have to, but just because when I get there, I know it feels good. So it's not, again, it's, it's, it's almost like the concept of diet versus nutrition. A diet is restrictive and nutrition is the way you are, the way you live in it, the way you're, you know, embracing your whole well-being. And so it's not a restriction, it's a lifestyle. If you take it that way, you switch the perspective and instead of seeing something you have to do, you switch to a perspective of, I get to live this way. It's a privilege. I'm taking care of my body because it allows me to live incredible moments and achieve incredible feats. And that's what drives me every single day in a way. So again, I don't see something as, as, you know, it's not almost, it's not a push. It's more like I'm pulled towards something. 
And that's, that's something greater. That becomes metaphysical. And that gives you the motivation and inspiration. And it auto fuels itself. I love that you bring up push and pull because that's actually something you talk about in the book that I've been thinking quite a bit about since I read the book. Maybe we'll obliquely push and pull might get relevant here in a second. But yeah. this is also one of the things I wanted to ask you about, though. There is a lot of talk in this book about discipline and being disciplined. There is what I think could be seen as a another virtue that is potentially in conflict with the virtue of discipline, and that is the virtue of remaining open. And I kind of wanted to ask you about this, maybe push you on this a little bit. I like where we're going. You say in the book, you can't just stay in a cage. You have to live life and be open to every new experience. You can't always be perfect. You have to try different paths to see what works and what doesn't. Okay. Discipline, I would argue, is necessarily a narrowing of the world, a narrowing of opportunities of new experiences. Distractions. Too. Distractions. So I'm curious to hear how you think about this or navigate this. On the one, on the one hand, you have gotten pretty much everywhere you've gotten in life, it seems, by exercising a significant level of discipline. And yet that means you're shutting certain things out. So how can we be open and disciplined? How do you think about this? This is a very good and challenging question, I got to tell you. Um, I, think, I think the beginning is the beginning point is about being open to the opportunities in the sense of not shutting down doors just out of preconceived limitations, let's say, that we put on ourselves. So... I've always been open to exploring different realms of what I'm doing. So here we're talking about, you know, physical preparation, nutrition, and digging into also the spiritual realm. So understanding, expanding my knowledge. The discipline comes from understanding what worked and bringing into the you know, in the recipe. So it's like little different ingredients that you try. So here's about being open to try different ingredients to bring it to the bigger recipe. So throughout the years, it's always been a process of trial and error for me. And I always found it so fascinating because I tried it on my own skin. When it worked, it was fantastic. When it didn't, it hurt like hell. But this process allowed me to learn, grow, expand, and evolve to the point where I kind of lined up my understanding of who I am, what I'm doing, why I'm doing it, and that fueled my discipline. So the idea is having a strong mindset. And of course, that's the beginning of everything. You know, that will allow you to face the, the uncomfortable. That's when you need to face and break through those initial barriers. You know, you need to break through that preconceived limitation you know, social patterns or whatever we we're talking about earlier and discover what is that drives you. Once you discover that, then it's all about narrowing down and following the path. Here, I'm going to open something. It's about very much finding your flow. So here you're talking about, you know, how do you deal with the tapering, the training loads and, and things like that. So no pun intended, but you cannot always stay hard. I don't know if you know what I mean. And I, I understand and respect the mindset, though you also have to be open and understanding that you cannot always stay hard. You have to follow the fluctuation of the physiology, the biology, the hormonal, metabolical uh, aspects of your being because we're no robot. We're no robots. Robots, sorry. <laughs> Here is also yielding to your humanity, to your human side, because you have to be strong, you have to be resilient, you have to be disciplined, but you also need to take the time to rest and recover because that's when you grow stronger. So it's understanding about this periodization, the cyclic flow of your being to, a, to achieve a higher level of yourself, to raise your whole physiological, psychological, and spiritual self to a higher level. Yeah. And I, yeah, 
<laughs> we can. It's a very difficult concept, but you know, it's it's uh, it's about really, you know, being open to the opportunities about allowing things to come into your life, and it's almost like thoughts. You can filter them and use what's good and di- and throw away, dump what's not worth keeping. You know what I mean? And then the dedication comes from seeking to those good things that came into your life and giving it your all and doing your best that you can with what you got. It's so fascinating, right? Every single human life, we make decisions every single day to stick with and stay within, to use your phrase or word, the cage, right? Like, and and I actually, as I was reading this and trying to think through it, I was like, when you say like, you can't just stay in a cage, Okay. But I'm almost like we might here, we're going to argue about the word cage, I suppose. In a way, your own life has been about like you lock yourself into certain cages. And I I think I've done this, you know, like we can talk about- We all do. We all do. We all do. You know, so, and I'm like, maybe I like cages and, or maybe- to use different metaphors, you just talked about, you know, there are seasons of life, there are chapters of life. And, you know, if I'm talking to kids on a college campus or something, I mean, and I, this is a, you have clearly done this in your own life, whatever chapter you're in, go hard at that chapter, like get obsessed, whether it's running the family's floral business Business or whatever, yeah, or a modeling career or exploring what the body can do and the mind can do in terms of ultra running, get a bit obsessed with that. And then if, and when it's time to move into another cage or another chapter, be open and ready to do that. Yeah. But I think there's a fascinating thing, like going back to say diet and nutrition for a minute, how open are you these days? You've had, let's say 37 years of experimenting with diet. Yeah. But if someone were to come to you and say, you know, actually, I think a diet only of high fructose corn syrup. Right, un- right. That sounds great. Right. Sounds amazing, <laughs> right? That, that will unlock new performance gains, but you have to, you have to co- totally commit to it for whatever, 60 days or, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. You, know, a, you know, a meat only diet. Like yeah, how yeah. actually open are you to experimentation now? Yeah. Um, I am fully open. I got to tell you the truth. I am fully open. I have been, uh, I've, I've been fully open since the very beginning of this journey. You know, when I, when I was modeling, it's never been a thought. I was just restricting my nutrition and eating whatever. I didn't think too much about, you know, how many grams of this, how many grams of that, what am I putting in my body? It was just like trying to eat as less as I could for as long as I could. So it was just like unhealthy. When I started running, I understood that I had to switch the perspective because nutrition is fuel and fuel allows you to push yourself beyond this certain limit, physical limitation. So the better you eat, the better nutrition you have, the better the body responds to even, the, you know, dealing with, uh, you know, uh, acidosis and all of these things that come from, you know, overuse. So I started really, uh, digging into it. I started studying. I took my uh, sports nutritionist certificate from the USA Track and Field. I became a running coach. So I really, really put myself into it. I became a student of the art, of the of the craft. And, and that was a fascinating aspect because, you know, I, can't, I come from a very unique culture. Italy is so, you know, involved into, you know, the culinary experience so you know it was it's always hard even here to transcend the cultural limitations because you know becoming one of the only few Italians that doesn't eat pasta and pizza becomes a pretty difficult task especially when you go back home you know your mom makes a whole nice plate of lasagna you have to say no but I was open to that too so I started really switching my nutrition to a more plant-based and more wholesome and more natural um, approach and I could sense I could feel those changes those influences where you know putting in my body very nice, colorful, uh, nutritious foods, 
that would give me not just the macronutrients, but all the micro things, the enzymes, the vitamins, the antioxidants, the enzymes, all these things that truly nourish the cell and is not just big fuel for the muscles. Because what? Because the reason behind it was that I started feeling lighter. I started feeling more energized. I felt that I was recovering faster. So it wasn't just a matter of saying, oh, I'm hitting plant-based because now it's the trend. No, I could feel that it was making a change in my life. And it was a great tool for me to achieve a higher level in my physiology so that I could be a better runner. So throughout the years, I started bringing in things and taking out things and trying to see what happened here, trying to see what happened there. Some things, it was great. Some things sucked. And and little by little, I started lining it up towards a very, very much plant-based diet. Um, I started going vegan. I started going vegetarian. Then eventually, a few years ago, I started going full-on vegan. I take out even honey, of course, eggs. Definitely no meat, no fish, nothing. Like full-on vegan, 100%. I wouldn't eat anything that was animal, you know, originated from animals. I, I stuck with it for about a couple of years. And there, you know, more, the veganism came more as an ethical approach, you know, more than anything. But I got to tell you the truth, after a certain period of time, I started realizing that I didn't, I didn't feel well. I didn't feel the same way. So I started bringing it back, eggs. I started bringing back honey. Then eventually I have the seldom random sushi every now and then. And I got to tell you the truth, this past year and a half, I brought back meat as well. So I cannot say that I'm vegan anymore. Um, I'm very much plant-based, but maybe a couple of times a month, I do have a piece of meat. Especially I try to switch to a more uh, nutritionally dense type of meat. So it's not very much like about the steak, more about the, the interiors of the animal. So we're talking about the like organ meats, tendons, ligaments, gelatin, uh, liver, all those nutritionally, nutritionally dense parts of the animal, which is pretty much what the predators eat in nature. Cause when you look at, you know, the actual predators, they always go for the guts. They don't go to eat the meat, the butt or the, or the legs, which is what our, you know, nutritional structure around meat is focused on because that's a, that's a cheap part of the animal. So even just implementing a couple of times a month that those nutritionally dense parts of the animal, it made an outstanding difference. So I'm not recommending necessarily a meat-based diet, but every now and then, and here we're talking again, a couple of times a month, it really made a great difference. And now I have found a very good balance and I'm always open to new things. I'm always open to try new things. And I think that's where being open comes from. I stick, I stick to what I feel it's a good path. And that's where the dedication comes from because you don't, you know, divergent, you know, junk food or stuff like that. But I'm always open to implement what I think could be worthwhile exploring. So talking about eating meat, eating organs just a couple times a month, do you line that up with like after you've really dialed up, say that your volume of training, you'll do that? Or do you find it's just like, no, once every two weeks? I feel like it really helps me when I'm in my big training loads because I do train, um, I do focus on a periodization that is not just yearly. It goes down to the seasonal, it goes down to the month, it goes down to the week. So when I'm my, my big loads of training, um, in a certain days of the week, I do have this type of food that we we're talking about. And maybe for another week or two, that maybe I'm tapering or, you know, lowering down intensity, then I can just go full on plant-based and, and I feel lighter. I feel better. I feel like my body truly responds to that. So again, here has been a process of trial and error. At the beginning, I would just dedicate it and stick into the vegan. But throughout my big training loads, I started feeling it wasn't just a matter of recovery time. I started feeling like, uh, on my, 
you know, ultra running is very much a physical sport, like in terms of like physical preparation, but you also have to really understand your hormonal um, uh, patterns. So, you know, when you're stressing the body so much and you're doing such big training loads, you're pressing, you're squeezing your, your glands, your hormonals, your metabolical levels. And so when I was in those, those times, I couldn't recover as well. And that's what really get into me. I could sense it. I could feel like a, almost like a weight on my shoulders. So eating those certain types of food, even eggs, at the beginning, even just bringing back eggs, because there are certain types of vitamins, certain types of nutrients, especially in the yolk, I could kind of recover better. I felt more energized and I felt like my body was was feeling stronger. And so, you know, being flexible with that truly allowed me to explore all these situations, all these patterns, let's say. First of all, I can't wait till I cajole you into i'm gonna keep making the case for like i bet the 60 day corn syrup only diet, corn syrup and, diet. Then, and then your next book will be just right. called the corn syrup diet you'll be like i was talking to this guy jonathan one day yeah right no, i uh let's not let's not go down that road but um let's not do that but don't you i mean well i don't know i was about to say don't you think that after a certain degree of trial and error maybe you will just kind of sort of ossify, harden into your own, just for you, your yeah. own principles of nutrition. But then again, I guess like we continue to age, we do different activities and pursuits and maybe given all that, no, it never, it never will just become like, I don't have to think about this anymore. You know, I, I, think, I think life is a constant process of evolution. So I don't, that's why I always say we need to be flexible. We cannot be, we cannot stick wholeheartedly to just one thing and believe because we don't know the cosmic truth of things and things always evolve. So being flexible allow you to kind of flow and to flow into whatever is necessary at that moment. You know, I think that's where growth happened. I think that's where the evolution happens. Because you have, just like in, in bigger terms, change is necessary in life to grow and expand and evolve. You know, even in those, that, that concept applies to the smallest things. So we don't have the truth of nutritional, the perfect nutritional guidelines for humans because we're all different culturally. Like our th ethnicities lead a big role. So we'll work for, let's say, an Asian person uh, might not work for a South African person and might not work for a Northern American person. So all of these things are part of the great recipe. Yeah, we're all humans, but we all kind of evolved slightly different, slightly differently because of our cultural paths. So, you know, certain cultures are more adapt to uh, digesting certain types of carbs. Certain cultures are more focused, have been so focused on meat that that's what they prefer. So it, we don't have specific guidelines, but we have an idea. And so understanding and exploring for ourselves what works and what doesn't, I think it's a necessity. Not necessarily being hard-headed and being, you know, just saying that you got the, the, the truth, you have, you have the solution, you have the, the answer. That's not the answer. The answer is being open, being, being flexible and understanding, trying to see what works for you and for what doesn't. So I cannot say right now what I'm doing is working perfectly. But 10 years from now, if we're having this conversation, it can be a completely different topic just because three years ago, it was a completely different topic. And five years ago was a different topic. And 10 years ago was a completely different topic even more. So it's a constant process of evolution. And this is where the flexibility comes in. Being open to what comes, but being disciplined in the way it's given the results right now. So it's a constant process of exploration. And this is what I think is very fascinating as well. I want to ask you about some other changes, perhaps evolutions. My understanding is you are 
a certified running coach. Yes. You are also a certified yoga instructor. That's right. I studied yoga in India for, for several months. And I've been an instructor for several years at this uh, retreat in Malibu called The Ashram. And uh, just about a year ago, when COVID hit, I was able to make a step back and finally fully focus on my craft. Got it. And that was kind of my question. I didn't know how much like running coaching you were doing these days. And if the yoga instruction, if that was like more of a circumstantial decision to step away from that, or if that was a more of a, not just circumstances, but more of a principled thing. So like, where are you? And and talk to us a little bit about that process. Like one, I mean, you made a decision at some point to instruct others. And it seems like yeah. maybe you're stepping away from some of that. Yeah. Well, um, as I mentioned before, in my process of, you know, learning, expanding my knowledge, I took these certifications and then I saw the opportunity to become a coach. So I started my online coaching business. And for a few years, I started doing, I, I was doing that. And for a window of time, it was rewarding until I started I didn't, I, I didn't enjoy it anymore. It almost became like a, it became a job. It became a drag. I felt it was taking away too much out of my, it was taking too much focus out of what I was supposed to do for myself. And so I kind of took a step back. In that time, you know, I've been practicing yoga since, uh, say, 2013, um, thanks to my wife, which, which became a, an instructor back then. And, the more I explored that realm, the more I understood how incredibly beneficial it was to my running. Because again, you know, I started out yoga as a stretching practice. And that was great. You know, it realigned the fibers, it, you know, it realigned the tissues, I could recover faster, I didn't have any injuries, it felt good. But then through that, I started digging in the metaphysical. I started understanding, I started understanding how the breath worked. I started getting into, I started kind of digging into the, med the meditation realm. And when I did that, I realized how beneficial it was to my running as well, especially running long distances. And you might ask, why? Why does sitting still is beneficial to your running? And the answer is, it's all about presence. It's all about detaching from the outside influences and for a moment, allow yourself to be fully focused, fully present, switching the focus from the outward towards the in, inner side of yourself. And this is something that doesn't happen often in life because, especially nowadays lives, we are constantly influenced by outside influences. From the moment we wake up in the morning, we are there to answer emails, to answer calls, to listen to the news, to worry about this, to worry about that, to listen to the uh, partner opinions, parents, friends. So it's a bomb, you're constantly bombarded by all of these. And very randomly or suddenly, we take the time to listen to ourselves. And I'm not, not thinking about listening to our thoughts, but transcending those thoughts and listening to, to ourselves, to the true self, to the heart, to the spirit, to the soul. We keep on getting there. And that's when I started exploring the realm, because that's the, that's the sweet spot. When you start truly listening to your inner self, that's when the magic happens. And that it's a very difficult concept to express, especially to a West, to the Western society, because we are just focused on the physical. We're just focused on the material. We're just focused on what it is tangible that we can see, that we can touch, that we can, you know, understand. But when we start talking about the metaphysical, the like a different realm, a different understanding of our of our true selves, then here we're starting to talk about a higher philosophy. And this is why I got I started studying yoga. That's why we spent months in India with my wife, studying in an ashram over there. We weren't just practicing yoga for twelve hours a day, but we were also digging into Vedic 
philosophy. Um, I'm very much on that oriental approach towards life. I'm not, I'm not religious, but I'm very much a uh, philo-Buddhist Taoist just because it's, in, there's no veneration towards a higher being. There's an understanding that we are part of that something greater. So once you transcend the limitation, you realize that we're not just a physical being, but we are part of something, of a cosmic energy, of something universal. And if you transcend the physical limitation, you understand that we're infinite. The moment you understand you're infinite, you realize that you have no limitations. So it's almost like a spirally thing, a spiraling thing that allows you to truly tap your inner being and transcend all the physical limitation that we put on ourselves. Because all the limitation are preconceived boundaries that bound us to this realm. And here, understanding that, he allowed me to bring this understanding, this lesson to ultra running. Ultra running begins when you break through those physical barriers, when you transcend your the limitation of the mind. Because we often say ultra running is a mental sport. Wrong. In ultra running, you discover the fabric of your own soul. That's what drives you. It's not the mind. The mind is a terrible master. You know this saying, right? The, ter- the mind is a great servant, but a terrible master. It couldn't be more true, and it couldn't be applied more truly to ultra running. If you allow the mind to make decisions, it will always take the easy way out. It's an evolutionary pattern. We don't want to suffer. We don't want, we always, that's why we are, we imprinted our society on such level of comfort and false securities because that's just how we wanted to live. You know, we want to stay comfortable. We don't want to, you know, what, what's difficult, what's painful, it's scary. But it is absolutely necessary to transcend those limitations because you not only grow, not only evolve through discomfort, but you also allow yourself to transcend those limitations, to shed those, those chains and allow yourself to to live fully, to live truly. Let's stay on this for a minute. So it's a very difficult topic. (laughs) I think a lot of people would be pretty familiar with the notion of, you know, running long distances, running ultras, right? When, When people say like, yeah, it's not a physical thing. You have to sort of get past that. That's not even what we're about. And you make this point several times in the book, something I want to ask you about, but you're like, marathons, you want to run 26.2 miles? Great. That's awesome. But that's still functioning in the realm of the physical. There's a next thing where you try to break through where it becomes less about the physical and does actually get to the mental. Let the mind say, I know your legs are tired. I know your lungs are tired. Keep going. But what you're saying here is, and please, you know, correct me where I've got this wrong. There's then the third breakthrough. So we go from the physical, we kind of break past that, get to the mental, and then you need to get past the mental. That's right. And you do use this expression in the book, it's getting to the fabric of your soul. And you're right, that's that's maybe going to be less clear for people. Now, and for you, when you talk about realizing that we are a part of the infinite, is that your best way to try to articulate what you mean? By like, to, for someone's like, okay, uh, now you guys are getting weird. What do you, what do you mean? Like, what? <laughs> what do you mean by that? Yeah. To put it in a, in a, you know, in a better term is we are always on a path of resistance. So the spiritual journey begins when you release that release, re- resistance and you allow yourself to truly express yourself to a higher level. What I realize and this is through hard-earned understanding on the roads and trails, breaking through those limitations, is that if you can transcend your physical, if you can control the mind and tap into the higher realm of yourself, so digging in the depths of yourself, you realize that we have no limitations. Because all the limitations that we perceive are the ones that we give ourselves. 
For the longest time, you know, especially being born in Italy, raised over there, I was very much influenced by the Greek mythology. We all know the Phidippides story. The poor army guy, he ran for marathons to Athens, 25 miles, he says we won, he dies. The Coubertin, centuries later, actually millennia later, he creates a marathon, the, the Olympic Games in 1896, the first Olympic Games, he sets the marathon as the ultimate challenge for the physical endurance, for the physical limitation of the human body. And for over a century, we accepted that. So then, you know, 10 years ago, reading a book, Dean Karnazes' Ultra Marathon Man, I discover of these people that run two, four, eight, ten marathons in a row with no stopping. That's mind-boggling. It destroyed all the preconceived limitation that I had about this. And you realize there's a whole new world behind what we thought existed. And these, you know, we talk in a book about the episodes of Columbus, of Ulysses. You know, we accepted the end of the world to end there just because nobody ventured beyond. But the, the world didn't end there. There's a whole world behind that. And just having the courage to venture in the unknown, that's the true adventure. That's why I think ultra runners nowadays are the explorers, the new explorers of our generation. They're the new adventurers because in a time where all land have been explored, all mountains have been climbed, all the ocean have been explored, I think that the true new exploration is the exploration of the self, transcending our physical limitation, our mental limitation to allow our spirit, our soul to speak loud and truly guide us to find out how far we can actually go. And that's so inspiring, that's so fascinating that that's what inspires me every day to get out before dawn to push my limits a little further. Well, that's it for this edition of Off the Couch. I want to say thanks to Michaela for part one of this conversation. And again, yes, we'll be airing part two next week. And then I also want to say thanks to the strikingly handsome Justin Bob for producing this episode. And from all of us here in Gunnison and Crested Butte, Colorado, please be safe. Please take good care of yourself and everybody else. Please keep moving forward. And we will talk to you again next week.